Listener Production. Kickbump acknowledges the traditional owners and custodians of the land in which we're recording this podcast, the Yulukut Wollum clan of the Boonwurrung, who are part of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respect to their elders, past, present, and emerging, and extend our respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples today. Welcome to the Kickbump Podcast, your fortnightly DM on all things motherhood. One, two, three, Hello. Hello. How are you? Last kick bump of the year. I know. It's sad. I know. It's a little bit it's, it's exciting and sad yeah. at the same time. I mean, we all need a holiday. Mm. I'm sure everyone <laughs> needs a holiday from hearing my voice too. So. Well, well, no, because we're actually releasing <laughs> oh, yeah, um, that's true. some like bonus eps over the Christmas okay. break. So if you miss me. So if you want a break from Steph, you're not going to get one. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I mean, we're not forcing them no. to listen. <laughs> Oh, but no, it's been really cool. And I will say like as the last kind of episode of Kick Bump for the year, it's been really special kind of rounding it up mm. with, with you, Mandy. Oh, thanks. Lovely. It's been so nice being a part of, I mean, I'm saying it like I'm leaving. I'm, I'm coming back. <laughs> but yeah, it's been really nice to like sit in and feel, because I'm usually producing. Yeah. So when I get to sit in the studio with you. It's like, oh, this is what you guys experience. This is what it feels like. This is like. fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, it's so awesome. And it's been um, it's been amazing having you on board. Um, today we have an incredible guest on board for the last episode. And I know a lot of the community members were super excited about having him on. It's Dr. Golly. But as always, before the chat, mm. I have some Harvey updates and some other things to chat about. My little Harvey update, I don't know whether it is cute or annoying. And so I'm going to ask what you think sure. as someone that it's not happening to. Uh, but when I'm looking after Harvey, I go to the bathroom with the door open mm. because like safety, I need to kind of yep. be able to hear or see him at least. Yep. And literally 10 out of 10 times, he'll push the door open, yep. creep in, and I'll just be like sitting there. And then he'll come and walk up to my legs and hug my legs yep. while I'm sitting on the toilet, yep. put his head in my lap. <laughs> I'm sitting on the toilet and I try and push him away and then he gets real sooky and just keeps, it comes back. And so he'll like literally grip onto my legs and hug me. And there's like, there's a split second where I'm like, oh, this is so cute. nice. But then I'm like, (laughs) what the hell? Give me some space. Okay. So firstly, I would just like to say that I think every single parent knows that feeling of like, I mean, Pink has written a song. Oh no, that's about her husband, I think. But about she's like, I can't even hop into the shower. All I ask for is one hour. But I think with kids, like you cannot get a second to yourself, no. especially now that Harvey's a toddler. Yeah. He's following you everywhere. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you can't pee in peace. But what if I told you my dog does that? Your dog does that. He pushes the door open and then he comes up to me and puts, and just like there. he wants to put his, oh. I mean, I push him away. But like, oh my God, that's so cute. So I kind of can relate. Because <laughs> um, when you were nodding along, I was like, okay, either she's had a lot of friends tell her this or like she's had some niece or nephew do it to her. Niece or nephew slash dog. Um, but also, yes, the friend thing, like everyone says that it's yeah. a thing. I'm but how annoying. just be like, this is so cute. Like even the yeah. other day I was, um, I can't remember what I was trying to do, but I was trying to do something. And he just kept on snuggling with me. And it got to a point where I was like, you know what? It can wait. And I just cuddled him and I just made the most of that moment because I was like, there's going to be a time where he's not going to want to cuddle my legs. He's like, get away from me, mom. I don't know why he sounds like that. Yeah, I don't know either, but it's fun. Um, But yeah, so I'm like, I'm deciding to find it cute. But it's also just like, 
It's also like if I'm there for number two. Yeah, I was going to say that. Out. I was going to say like, that. That's kind of that's extremely like... unhygienic. <laughs> and like not enjoyable for him. No. <laughs> I mean, you wouldn't think so. He's anyway. so funny. But yeah, I think very normal. Cute and annoying, yes. Yeah. I'm going to just say both. The other update I have is actually a funny video, which we're going to play for you guys now. <laughs> it's something that was sent to me by a few different mums. So I felt like it was like, okay, a lot of mums will be able to relate to this. Hey, if you see things on social media, like people making bento boxes for their kids' lunches that have like fruit in it with little eyeballs on it, or one pan sheet dish recommendations that the whole family will love, except for you know that your kids will never eat any of that shit, and it starts to make you feel like you're not doing enough. I just want to tell you a quick story about my Nana. Okay. Nana had seven kids. She wore a bathrobe all day long and she used to let her youngest child stay home from school with her all the time so that they could play cards and smoke cigarettes together. Now I'm not saying that's the best idea, but that youngest child happens to be one of my favorite people in the world. So, you know, just maybe just take a little page out of Nana's book and Relax, you know. So I find this so funny, and I just, Mandy, what did you say to me before we went online? Online, what am I before saying? we started recording? Yes, yeah. Um, when lots of people send you the same video, you yes. know that it screams you. Yes, like yes. it's everyone obviously looking at that video, going, "I need to send this to Steph." Hundred percent, and I love it because. I think, I mean, I even posted something, not not something similar, I'm not that creative <laughs> or funny, but um, the other day when I was working from home and I had Harvey and just to myself. On your own, yeah. On my oh own, my God, how do you even? Uh, it was really hard and I ended up, honestly, I don't even want to know how many hours of screen time that kid had because uh, I, mean, I just, it was the only way that I could kind of, like you can give him blocks and stuff and he can keep himself busy for like maybe five, maybe ten minutes but if the TV's on, he kind of just stays in that room. Mm. Like he doesn't he doesn't just sit down and like glue his eyes to the TV. That's not how he watches TV. Like he'll still play with blocks or do something around. But if the TV's on, he's at least like inclined to like stay in that vicinity. Yeah, yeah. And it was somewhere that I could like see him. So anyway, it's the best way I can keep him busy and distracted. But I can't help but feel so guilty for it every time I do that because it's like, I mean, honestly, people message me and say until they're two, I think the World Health recommendation is not to give them any screen, give them any screen at all. I mean, sure. Which this like, is what the whole debate is like. Obviously, yes, that's ideal, right? It's like saying, oh, for our body, for our health, yeah, we, we should, should eat, eat all. all the time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like every single time we put anything in our mouth, it should be like natural. Yeah, and, you know. Yeah, sure. Ideally, grow it in, in your backyard. Ideal, but realistically, it's, it's not, not going to happen, happen all the time. Yeah. So I think same applies for that's <clears> true. Kids with screen time, it's like yeah, sure, aim for what you can manage. But if there's, especially, I'm assuming it's like for you, it's the odd time. I mean, there'd be plenty of mums listening or parents who are like, my kid is glued to the screen at all times. Um, So imagine the guilt that, you know, a lot of people feel. So I think it's completely do your best and that's what you can do. 100%. No, I love that. I think that was a really great way of putting it actually, to be honest, because you just got to do what what you can with what you have. And Mm. Yeah, I just, I mean, like, he has screen time every day. Like, to be completely frank, he has screen time every day. But generally, it's, like, maybe max an hour over the whole day. Yeah, like, you try to limit it. Yeah, Yeah. maybe to when I'm cooking something or whatever. But, yeah, this day was, like, pretty bad. And I just felt guilty. But then I watched that video and I just had a bit of a giggle to myself (laughs) because... There's so many things like screen time. Mm. Um, you know, it might not. It might be like not getting them outside or like giving them purees all day instead of, as in like prepackaged yeah, stuff yeah. all day instead of freshly making them something because you didn't have time. Like there's so many of those little things that 
I think because you see what people do online and what some parents can have time for and, yeah. and, and you feel, do you feel, and you feel like guilty. you're not enough. Yeah, but like that's, you're not doing good enough. I mean, look, I know this is such an old school sentence, but like we turned out fine. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's a, yeah. like, you know. We're, we're, some of us might be problematic. But <laughs> yeah, that's true. But, yeah, but, but we're alive, right? Yeah, yeah. And like I think the biggest thing I've learned is like, I felt loved by both of my parents. That's my biggest memory. Mm. You know, I felt loved. And that's, the, I think that's the most important thing. Yeah. So, so a bit of screen time, not going to hurt too bad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. So for today's <laughs> guest, we have the incredible Dr. Golly, which is actually, well, I'm saying he's Harvey's pediatrician. Like he's just like, Harvey's his only client. <laughs> well, you do talk about Dr. Golly I quite do a lot, about, so I assume yeah. he is Harvey's pediatrician. <laughs> Harvey's pediatrician. And when Harvey was a day old, he was the pediatrician that came in and did some checks and said, like, if you ever need anything. Amazing. And so from there, and, and I just, I loved his energy. I loved the way he spoke about things to me. And I was just like, this, yeah, this guy I trust. Just like digestible information. Totally. Rather than medical jargon that yeah. we don't understand. He's a dad himself. He's got three kids. And the way you put everything, you could just tell it's like, he's been there. He's mm. done that. Mm. Like, trust him. So some of you might hear the name and know of his sleep programs that he's got. So he's got some like online courses. Mm-hmm. And I often actually get asked about them because people know that I see Dr. Golly. Yep. And there is a lot of skills that I learned in those programs that had worked so well for us, especially when Harvey was a newborn, things like burping techniques and all of that mm, sort of stuff like for settling, unsettled yep. babies. So they're really great. And then he's also just recently released like toddler programs. Yes, the toddler toolkit. I'm so excited. When I read the list of things that it helps with. So for example, when kids lose their mind getting into the car, mm. when they won't get out of the bathtub, mm. when they refuse to eat your perfectly prepared meal, it's basically like toddler tantrums, yeah. their, their stubborn ways and how to, you know, how to how deal to with that. It. And, and I'm like, so oh. excited to like fully get into that program myself because I mean, like Harvey's at that age, mm. but we are so lucky to be able to have him on today. I'm going to ask him a few questions and you know what? Some of them may be a little biased to around mm. Harvey's age, but... Well, well, this is the thing. Since he's released a <laughs> yeah. toddler toolkit, I know, I'm like, we thought, perfect. Well, let's focus on toddlers today. Yeah, well, any parent of a toddler would, would agree. I think also it means that we can get Dr. Golly back yeah. another time for maybe for like babies. the newborn or the 100%. You know, older kids. And we also got some of your questions as well. So thank you so much for sending them through. And if you ever want to get involved in the podcast, you can email questions or stories through to podcast at keepitcleaner.com.au. But here is my chat with Dr. Golly. Welcome to the Kick Bump Podcast, Dr. Golly. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. And you're in your scrubs and everything. Always, always in (laughs) uniform. (laughs) No, honestly, thank you so much. Obviously, you're quite the busy human with what you do. Um, so very, very grateful to have you on. And by the looks of all the questions that came in for you, the community are very excited to have you on as well. So. Oh, I'm excited. <laughs> Let's get into it. I often come to you, even just text you sometimes, and I'm sorry about that, but you are my go-to person. And I think it's, I was saying to Mandy earlier, there's something about you that just makes you very easy to approach in the, in the nicest way. It's like, it's like you've been there and done that, the way that you kind of give off your advice, which I love. People tell me that my voice is soporific. What's that? It puts you to sleep. Oh. So I'm not sure if that's a compliment or an insult. (laughs) 
No, I mean, it's soft. It's, it's definitely nice. But it's more just like the way, and there's the same reason why I love following your social media as well is because it's very digestible, but educational and important information. Yeah, I think it's one thing to have the knowledge of childhood health development, but it's another thing to have lived experience. And I think being a father made me a much better pediatrician. Mm, oh, for sure. And I, and I do feel that. Today we're talking about toddlers and there's quite a lot in here that I feel like I'm going to take a lot from this because Harvey is well and truly in his toddler stage. I want a Harvey update. I know. I haven't, heard, he I haven't seen him for a few months. I mean, thankfully you haven't because it means that he's been well. But um, he's definitely in that kind of tantrum territory and basically everything that you're – congrats also on the Thank toddler you. toolkit. That's yes. amazing and I'm so excited to look at it myself. But I feel like when I was looking at all the different things that it covers, I'm like, yep, <laughs> yep, yep, yep. So it's nice to know, I suppose, that – Harvey's not like the only child that these things are happening to, or I'm not the only parent that is dealing with it. <laughs> no, quite the opposite. And and you know what? I think the most important thing to know is that this is normal. Mm. And it's so important, even when you're in the trenches, to celebrate what's normal. Yeah. So, you know, people talk about, oh, terrible twos and, you know, terrorist twos and all of this negative language around it. But you always have to remember, just pause for a moment and think, this means my child is developing normally. It's hard. It's challenging. I, you know, sometimes want to punch a hole through the wall, but what a wonderful thing mm. that your child's developing normally. Yeah, it's so true. It's so true. And I try, I try and remind myself of those things. And I'm sure there's like so many amazing tools and skills that people can learn from your program. But when it comes to tantrums and meltdowns, where do you start? Like when you are in the trenches when Harvey is having a tantrum because I haven't given him a blueberry because we don't have any blueberries. Like, where, where do <laughs> you not have enough blueberries? <laughs> where do I start with that? I mean, like, because my go-to, and I don't even know if it's the right thing, but I usually just try and distract him with something. And then I'm like, but then when I do that, I'm like, sometimes it works. It stops the tantrum, but then I'm like, am I not letting him feel his emotions? And he's like, it's valid that he's upset that he doesn't have a blueberry. That's right. Where do you start? It's a great question and I feel like, you know, how much time do we have? I, I could talk for hours. <laughs> and, you know, you mentioned, you know, should I do this, should I do that? There's so much advice out there in this space that talks about conscious parenting and, mm. and when you can really take a deep dive into the psychology of it, it's wonderful. Mm. But it's not practical mm. when you're standing there with no blueberries yeah. and a child who's about to paint on the wall yeah. and they're furious and you need to be in three places and you need to go to the toilet and yeah. all it's all happening that's what I wanted to give yeah. people, practical advice that you can use in that moment. Mm. And there's all of the psychology behind it, but that's for another time. Yeah. So in answer to your question, we aim to have parents spend 80% of their time with their toddler using preemptive, proactive strategies, mm. things that prevent tantrums, give their child tools to communicate and things like distraction, all of these things, happy times. And 20% of the time, which is, and it's important to know, an inevitability, 20% mm. of the time we are putting out a fire. Mm. So don't expect to live a life with a neurotypical toddler that's going to be 100% fun all the time and mm. wonderful. It never exists. That's yeah. not a normal child. And that's impossible. Yeah. Okay? <laughs> so I think that a lot of families and, and the feedback that we were getting was that a lot of families had it the other way around. Mm. You know, 80% of the time they're screaming 
and 20% of the time it's wonderful. And we need to flip that on its head. And the best way to do that is to look at the cause of their tantrum in that moment. Mm. And when you break it down, there are only five possible reasons why a toddler is tantruming. And it's really important to know it usually has nothing to do with the topic at the time, right? It's got nothing to do with blueberries. Which, you know what, even you saying that out loud, I'm like half the time that I crack the shits at Josh because I'm just like like erupting inside, it's got nothing to do with what he's done in that moment. It's yeah. because something else happened it's earlier the, that day. Exactly. That There's about. a straw that breaks the camel's back. It's, you know, same thing happens with me at work. If I'm on call, mm. poor sleep, get to work stressed, you know, I'm really holding it together and being the best doctor I can and the best colleague I can be. And then I get home mm. and who cops it? Mm. My family mm-hmm. or my friends. And that is a backhanded compliment to them to say, I'm really comfortable yeah, with comfortable. you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they don't want that. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, again, what's normal? Remember that your child is saying to you, mum, I'm really comfortable with you. Mm. I've had a rough day and I'm just going to take it out on you. Yeah. All right. And there's no blueberries here. So that's my topic of choice. <laughs> all right. So just ignore the blueberry. Okay. That's the first piece of advice. Then look at the five possible causes. And in the program, in the heat of the moment, we wanted to give parents something that you can hold on to mm. immediately. So we turned it into an acronym. What better word to use than to think of the cause than the word cause. Mm-hmm. So C-A-U-S-E. The five possible things that a child is looking for is connection, access, unexplained, sensory, or escape. Mm -hmm. They want to connect with you. Steph, you've been at work all day. Mm -hmm. You didn't put me to bed last night. Mm -hmm. I'm a little pissed off. And I really, really just want to hug and tickle from you. Mm -hmm. And I'm too, I've got no idea how to tell you that. So I'm going to break your favorite piece of jewelry. (laughs) You know, that's a child saying, I really want to be close to you Mm. and I've got no idea how to deal with it because I've got a big emotion. I don't know how to interpret it. Mm. I don't know what it means. I don't know if I need a poo. I just, (laughs) I don't know what's going on, but here's a bracelet. I'm going to break it. Yeah. And then the parent comes along and thinks, oh my God, that bracelet was given to me by this person. It's (laughs) so important. I was going to wear it the next day. They don't care. Mm. They don't know. Yeah. At the end of it, they just want to be close to you. The next possible reason is access. They may want to access something and you don't necessarily know what it is. And it may not be rational or logical. It may just be, you know, he really, really wants to get his birthday present three days before his birthday. Well, like that's reasonable. You know, why would you have to, why would you want to wait for your birthday? A calendar is such a construct. Kids don't think like that. And we're having a fight about a blueberry. Mm. But you can't understand that he really wants to access something. The you of unexplained is that you don't know what it is in the moment, but you'll figure it out in the next few hours or the next couple of days. And you'll realize, oh my God, he was annoyed that I changed his bed sheets. <laughs> he really wanted the blue ones. And I wasn't, I didn't know. Yeah. I put the yellow ones on. Yeah. I didn't know he didn't like yellow. Yeah. All of a sudden it comes to light and you think, ah, so we didn't have to have a major fight. I just needed to know this. But his ability to communicate and our ability to listen is not working all the time. When it comes to sensory, I mean, let's say you found the most gorgeous jumper Mm. at the shops and you bought it for him Mm. and it looks gorgeous. And you take photos and you think, oh my God, I want to eat this child. And there's a really itchy tag. (laughs) 
You don't care about the tag. Mm. You care about what it looks like. You know, this kind of thing, just an example. And the child might be horribly uncomfortable, but have no idea how to tell you that. Yeah. Or even know themselves. Then there is escape. An an example might be that you've gone to a, a family lunch or something and this child just hates being hugged by grandparents. You know, strong perfume or, you know, rough beard. Who knows? They just don't want to be hugged. And you're saying, come on, let's go. We've got Christmas lunch. We've got to go. And the kid's thinking, my cheek's going to be sore and I'm going to stink of Rose. Like, I don't want this. (laughs) Rose. And they're having a tantrum. You can't leave the house and you've got no idea why. And they Mm. can't tell you that every single time Aunt Florence hugs me, I Mm. smell for two days and I don't like that. Yeah. So our ability to rationalise discomfort is very, very complicated. It's Mm. frontal lobe function. You know, this part, the frontal lobe only finishes developing in your 20s. So there are teenagers and adults who can't get their heads. I mean, I'm the first to put my hand up and say, I would say most of the time that I'm in a terrible mood, I'm not fully sure why. Yeah, (laughs) it's so true. You know, my wife is really good at this and my wife is good at telling me you're angry because of this. And in the moment, I'll say, rubbish. Yeah. And then afterwards, yeah, she's 100% They're right. They're always right. Always right. <laughs> and how can we expect a two-year-old to do this? Yeah. It's so true, isn't it? Because I know sometimes when Josh is at his wit's end from having a hard day and Harvey might just like throw his food in front of Josh, Josh will just stand up and it's like, he always does this to me. It's like, he knows, he knows, he knows he can't do this. And I'm like, he might know that it annoys you, but like, it's not a... It's not personal. I, yeah, it's not personal. And I think it's hard. I mean, like, I also get those emotions, so it's not putting it on Josh, but I also get those emotions when it's been, like, a long time with him. I think coming home as a working parent, you've kind of, like, had a different day, and so I'm, like, ready to deal with his tantrums sometimes. I'm like, no, this is fine. We can work through this. And Josh is like, ah, I'm done. So I think what I love about those kind of tips and even understanding it it's not as far as sitting them down, making them breathe, trying to talk through things. Because at the same time, like Harvey can't talk. So I can't, there's a lot that I can say that he will understand, but then I'm sure there's a lot I can say that he's just not going to understand. And, and I can tell you in the moment, yeah. the answer is zero. Yeah, he's not so ready. You, you know, if it's a tantrum, especially if it's a meltdown, do not bother. Yeah. You're just adding fuel to the fire. Yeah. Come back to it in a few hours, potentially come back to it in a few days. Yeah. When everything's calmed down, you can say, hey, remember when this happened? We can talk through it. We can talk about why. We can talk about how we could manage it in Mm. the future, ways that we can get rid of our angry and ways that we can talk better and, you know, notify me if you're feeling this way and we can problem solve together. Do not try and do that in the moment because it's never going to work. Yeah. And I think the biggest thing is just like know that it's normal and, and do your best to remind yourself of that and that they're going through so much in their little minds. And so if you can take a breath and be calm, I suppose. I mean, that was something that you even taught us when he was a newborn is that like they really do pick up on your energy. So I'm sure if you erupt when they're (laughs) erupting themselves, it's just not going to. And that's what happens all too often. Yeah. You know, parents will all say, kids know. Kids know when I've got to be somewhere or when I've got a work call or something's happening, that's when they crack it. And I think there is truth to that. Mm. I don't think that it's I agree with you. It's yeah. not a personal attack. Yeah. Clearly not. But they can feel when you're tense, when you're being curt and short. Yeah. And then they feed on that in a negative way and they don't want you to be short. They don't want you to be rushing out the door and rushing them and brushing their hair and wiping their face and all of this stuff. <laughs> 
they want just, you know, they may want five minutes to play on the, on the mat with you, that kind of thing. So checking yourself, you know, when you're on an airplane and they tell you, put your oxygen mask on before the kids, mm. think of that. Yeah. At all so times. True. Because sometimes what we bring to the tantrum is worse than what the toddler brings. Mm. Yeah, I would agree. And if your child has just done something, you know, thrown something, whatever, and your immediate reaction is to fly off the handle, you're also teaching them how to manage mm. emotions. So they're looking at you saying, okay, when something doesn't go my way, I should scream. It's, oh my God, it's so true. Whereas if they do something really, really unacceptable, dangerous, whatever, and your first response is to close your eyes and take five deep breaths. Not only does that do wonders for you in the moment, but what are you teaching them? Yeah, that's so true. They're going to model their behavior on you. And someone pushes them in the playground in two years' time, and they're going to take a deep breath and then get past it, mm. as opposed to screaming and throwing a fist. Oh my God, I love that. It's so funny. It's, it sounds so selfish, what I'm about to say, but I feel like one of the coolest things, I think, in wanting to bring a child up to be, you know, the best they can be and everything and teach them good morals and values and everything is that you in turn end up trying to reflect that yourself. I feel like I'm generally becoming a better person because I'm just trying to project myself that way. Do you know how (laughs) much we can learn from our children? Mm. This is the irony is that we feel as adults and parents that we need to teach them. We've Mm. got so much to teach them, but like pause for a second. They have so much to teach us. Mm. Babies, newborns, they teach us how to be mindful and to stop and smell the roses and go for a walk yep. and put away the phone. And then toddlers teach us that playing for a few more minutes is far more important than being on time. Yeah. And, you know, there's this saying, I don't know the wording, I'm going to screw it up, but the universe gives you what you need the most. Mm-hmm. And I really believe that the children you get, the personalities they have, the challenges they have, they're the things that you need as an individual and as a parent to deal with. That's so cool. Yeah, I like that. I like that. It's a Certainly good has rung true for me. Yeah, for sure. So the other thing I have to ask, because it's something that I'm interested in for myself, or for Harvey, um, before I get into some of the community questions, is toilet training. Yes. So Harvey is now 19 months. So I feel like I don't really know too much about toilet training, but I feel like from what I know of friends with kids around the same age, some of them are starting to do things and there's so many different ways of going about it. But how do you know when a toddler is ready or a kid is ready to be toilet trained? Like, is there a certain age gap that they should be or is there signs? How do you know when to start? I don't put an age to it. The only time where I look at age is where there is pressure from, for example, a, a kindergarten or, day, you know, somewhere where they actually need to be in order to be accepted, something yeah. like that. That's when you can really push. But other than that, I try never, ever push it. Mm. So I don't want anyone listening to this thinking, oh, my child's two and a half. I've got to toilet train them. No, you've got to toilet train them when they tell you they're ready to be toilet trained. Mm. Same as solids. I'm going to start solids when they're telling me I'm hungry for solids. Everything is always in response to the child. So then the question becomes, as you rightly asked, what are those signs? Mm. When you see your child aware of their own body functions, so that may be as subtle as the child playing and then they go off to the corner and just stand there quietly and you're thinking, (laughs) yep, I know what you're doing. (laughs) 
But that is really important because a child's aware, the child's getting a feeling, they're then extricating themselves from play mm. so they can focus on having that bowel action and then they'll come back. So that awareness is a wonderful social development. Again, wonderful to know that your child's developing normally and that can happen at 18 months, that can happen at three years and everything in between. Mm. So wait to see those signs. Around about the same time, they're going to start to show interest in the potty, mm. in the toilet. I mean, we don't think about it very often, but toilets are pretty unusual, <laughs> right? There's this bizarre hole in the middle of the house, sometimes multiple. And every now and then, mum and dad go and sit on it. <laughs> it's like, why is there a chair? There's no table. Yeah, They're not eating. They're not working. Why are they just going randomly to go sit on a chair? So it, it, it piques interest. Mm. And then it makes this god-awful noise. Yeah. And it's weird because anything you put inside just disappears. Mm. So a toilet can be a really scary thing. It can be, a, a, you know, kids can be inquisitive about it and you want to fuel that interest mm. in it. And then lastly, you want to know that the child is starting to develop autonomy, some control over their environment. They want to pull up their own shorts or they want to do up their own nappy or they want to take off their own T-shirt. So those are the subtle cues that your child's ready and that's when you start to gently, gently suggest, mm. never force, never get angry or disappointed or, or frustrated when it doesn't work the way that you want it or we make a mess or we ruin some clothes. You want to have a really positive relationship with toileting and that's the key to success. Mm. So interested in toilet. That's so funny, Mandy. I feel like I was looking at you because in the intro, I brought up that Harvey's new thing when I'm looking after Harvey by myself, I'll go to the bathroom. I mean, to be honest, a lot of the time, if it's just me and Josh in the house, I'll go to the toilet with the door open. But Harvey now, he'll come in the bathroom and he'll literally walk straight up to me as I'm sitting on the toilet and either just stare at me or he'll like hug my legs. <laughs> and I'm like, this is not the time. It's adorable, but it's not the time. But I feel like he is getting to that point where he's like, what are you constantly doing here? And so then I find myself going like, Mummy's going wheeze. And then I'm like, wait, am I talking to him like the dog? Like, <laughs> go wheeze. <laughs> but um, it's it's quite interesting because those tiny little things, I think they're they're starting to happen. I, I don't I don't think he's like quite at the point where he's like super interested or he, he doesn't, you know, take himself away while he's playing to to do things or anything. He's not quite there. But there's little things like he's constantly trying to take his nappy off and he's just staring at me on the toilet. So That's <laughs> fantastic. <laughs> So you can create, a lot of kids will join those dots themselves and then there are some who need a little bit of help and you can help them to join the dots and understand what a toilet is, how it works, because it's, it's completely mm. new to them. We take it all for granted. But something even as subtle as having a potty, mm. a little plastic potty, I always like to get the kids to decorate it, put mm. stickers on, mm. colour it in, so it's very much their personal thing. And then if they fill a nappy... Mm -hmm. When you lay them down to change them, I always like to bring the potty next to you, mm. change them, get it all finished, put it in a nappy bag, and then making sure that they can see, put that into the potty. Mm. And then make a general comment along the lines of, poo goes in the potty. Mm -hmm. And then they just understand that, oh, that's where poo goes. Now, they don't need to know that you then take that bag and put it in the bin, mm -hmm. but they understand that, oh, that's where poo goes. That's where we goes. And they will join the dots over months and understand that I can either do a poo in the nappy or I can just do a poo straight into the potty because it ends up there anyway. Mm. And that's how you start to, you, you help them to progress. <gasps> I love that. 
That's so amazing. Okay, we are going to move on to some community questions. This is from Tanil, and she says, just wondering what you would suggest for weaning a toddler off the dummy. So my son is nearly two and we've just gotten rid of his favorite one, but he's refusing to sleep without it. We can't find any others that he likes. We feel as though we may as well wean him off altogether given his age. What should someone do if they've missed the boat on getting them off the dummy earlier? I don't think there's ever missing a boat. Okay. Um, a lot of my practice and philosophy is about removing guilt, mm-hmm. anxiety, pressure. So please don't feel that way, Tanil. There's just, there's no need to feel bad. My youngest, if it's any consolation, I'll still find her with a dummy. She'll find a random one. Oh, God knows how dirty it is. <laughs> she's, you know, she's six at the mm-hmm. end of this month. We removed her dummy. We tried at two, we tried at three, and we succeeded at four. And part of it was us being probably not strict enough. Mm-hmm. And a lot of it was that she wasn't ready. Mm. And she used it as a soothing mechanism. She used it as a sleep association. And I'm okay with that. Mm. Now, yes, there are orthodontic effects. And yes, you know, all of that is true. Yeah. And if you can avoid a dummy altogether, wonderful. Mm. But you know, if your child is orocentric, they love to put things in their mouth, suck. That's how they soothe. That's how they sort of explore the world through their mouth, through their teeth. They're going to find something. Mm. And the other thing to find is a thumb. Mm. Now, you can't remove a thumb. Mm. <laughs> oh, so, God, please don't remove a thumb. Exactly. So if you, were, if you had to choose between a thumb sucker and a dummy, you yeah. almost rather have the dummy because mm. it is removable. Then the question becomes, how do I get rid of it? So my first piece of advice is question whether it's, super urgent. Mm. Do you need to do it at two? If there is a milestone coming up, if we're about to turn three mm. or it's, you know, at the end of the year or something that a child fully understands, we, you know, we're going to kinder or something, mm. use that as an opportunity. Say, you know, three-year-olds don't have dummies. Mm-hmm. And what you're doing is you're taking something with a very positive association, a birthday party, a celebration, presents, getting older, which is the world to these kids. And even though you're taking something negative, like removing a dummy, it's almost like a graduation. Yeah. And that's cool. Yeah. And there are, you know, there are different methods that people use. I remember my mum tells me that I had like a dummy burying ceremony. (laughs) Yeah. We dug a hole. We dug a hole in the back garden and we put all the dummies in and buried it. And I was part of the process and, you know, I turned however old I was, probably 15 or something. (laughs) (laughs) And and that was like something I took ownership of and we took photos and it was a whole big like formal thing. And I, at the age of whatever, three, thought every three-year-old goes through this as like a rite of passage, you know. And so I was very much a part of it and therefore I didn't lament it. I didn't miss it. Yeah, and I didn't go back to having a dummy. I didn't throw a tantrum and I was very chuffed. Mm. So there are many different ways to do it. There's cold turkey, which works for some, you know, it's very temperament specific. And then you can take it out for certain things. So you can say, two-year-olds only have a dummy for sleep. Mm -hmm. You can blame me. Mm -hmm. Say, Dr. Golly says, (laughs) sorry, Harvey, Dr. Golly said, only dummies when we go to sleep. And that's perfectly fine. And if it takes a few weeks, a few months, even years, it's not a problem. I think it was really great tip, I think, to attach it to something positive. This next question is from Rachel. And this one's I'm, I'm actually interested in as well because every time I post a photo of Harvey drinking from his bottle, I kind of get a lot of questions or a lot of 
uh, suggestions from people. <laughs> so I wonder what is actually right. But Rachel says, should toddlers cut out drinking milk if they're having other dairy? Also, if they enjoy having a bottle, at what age should you stop giving it to them? Yeah, such a good question. And so many parts to this. Over the age of one, you don't need milk. Mm -hmm. So you can get all your dietary requirements from other foods, mm -hmm. green leafy vegetables, and you know just the clean, healthy diet. You don't need to have milk, cow's milk formula mm -hmm. at all. We are the only mammal that drinks another animal's milk. It's very unusual in, <laughs> in the animal kingdom. Like it is strange. <laughs> so don't feel like you need to do it. And if you don't do it, they're going to miss out on something. There's also, on the flip side, there are problems that can arise when you have too much milk. Mm. So Toddlers who drink too much milk, there are two issues there. The first is that they it can have an impact on sleep. And the second thing is that it can cause iron deficiency. So we see it so a lot. Yeah. We see it a lot where kids have, you know, four, five, six bottles a day still. And they may be having solids as well, but they have a lot of cow's milk and they are profoundly iron deficient. Mm. So some is fine. None is fine. Too much, not good. Okay. Then it comes to the question of, do they like it? If they like it, great. Yeah. Okay. There's nothing wrong with that. Harvey loves it. There's nothing wrong with that at all. <laughs> and, you know, there are people who say you should always clean the teeth after having milk. Yeah, I do that, yeah. What's interesting is I spoke to a pediatric dentist mm -hmm. about this by the name of Nadia. She's brilliant. And she explained to me that it's actually protective for baby teeth to have something savoury, mm -hmm. so cheese or milk or mm -hmm. crackers even, um, much better than fruit mm. or something that's got more of an acidic nature to it. So I think it is wise to get into the habit of, you know, having milk cleaning teeth. But at the same time, the real danger is not in fact having milk. Mm. It's leaving a child with a bottle. Mm. So I'd always recommend shifting to a cup. Mm -hmm. Because if you go to sleep with a bottle in your mouth, mm. that causes what we call dental caries, which mm. is basically the complete destruction of baby teeth. It's mm. a horrible, horrible, mm. horrible problem. So never, ever let your child fall asleep with a bottle mm -hmm. in their mouth. That will destroy the teeth. Having some milk before bed, no problem. If you're worried that it's having an impact on sleep or you just want to get rid of it, you can do it in a number of different ways, like the dummy. Mm. Go cold turkey or wean down the volume or even if you're worried that your child's having too much milk, you can water it down. Mm. So a child isn't really able to tell the difference between watered down milk and normal milk. Mm. So there are lots of different ways of doing it. The most important thing is to ask yourself, do I need to? Does the child want to? Mm. Okay, well, that's good to know. Because Harvey definitely still, he has one bottle at the end of the day before he goes to bed. And he still loves it and very much looks forward to it. So I was like, please don't tell me that I have to cut it No. <laughs> so no. I'm glad. Okay, this last question is actually an audio, so we'll play it for you now. I have a 14-month-old daughter. She's always been very active, um, even in sleep, rolling around and everything. She seems to have nightmares. She can be screaming, ah, and then rolls over, ah, again. So you never actually know when she's awake and when she's actually asleep. I'm just wondering, are they nightmares? Can kids be having nightmares this early on at 14 months? Is there something you can do better to settle them? Other times we've picked her up and she's really struggling to breathe and like in hysterics. So you would assume nightmare. Anyway, just in regards to development brain-wise and sleep and how that's all kind of tied in. Yeah, so that one's from Amy and I had wondered the same thing. 
Great question. Really great. Really important to separate into two topics. One is night terrors. One is nightmares. Mm-hmm. There isn't actually much to talk about nightmares because we have no idea. Yeah, okay. There's no way to know. You can't ask a 14-month-old and say, hey, what did you dream? dream you can't, they, they can't conceptualize it. Logically, it probably starts when imagination starts and dreams certainly do occur. We tend to have our most vivid dreams in the deepest part of sleep, REM, when we are paralyzed. So we self-paralyze in order to not act out our dream. So what it sounded like in that audio was that we're actually not deep asleep. Mm. If we're, you know, yelling out and then rolling over, you're not in your deep, deep, deep part of sleep. So that may just be a random vocalization. It may be a little bit of a movement, a jerk. All of that is completely fine, especially if it doesn't wake the child. Mm. So you don't need to do anything about nightmares. You can't do anything about nightmares. If there are worries before going to bed, that's a different issue. I've found the most effective thing is a worry box. So you have a little box. This is more for older kids as well. Um, And you help them do it. You have a little box next to the bed and you get a piece of paper and you get the child to draw a picture or if they're able to, to write some things down, you help them to write down. You basically get all their worries out of their brain, onto the paper and into the worry box. This is something I've told Josh to do. It's the best. Full-blown adult. (laughs) Oh, I'm telling you, it works at any age. Yeah. And then while they're sleeping, you go and you take the worries out of the box, throw them in the bin, and then they wake up and they're not there. Mm. So it's a wonderful way of teaching them how to get things off their mind, clear everything. The other topic of night terrors, this sound, yeah. it sounds more like a night terror. I used to have night terrors, actually. Ah. My mum and dad, mum actually has told me a few stories, but um, yeah, all through kind of like my toddler years. And I actually can remember one of the dreams that, I had because it was something that reoccurred throughout my whole childhood and even into my teenage years. If I was ever like overheated or something irritable or whatever, I would have this same dream. And she said that I would sit up in bed. And this is when I used to share when I was a toddler and I shared a room with my brother and he was like sleeping like a log on the bunk bed. So he was never woken by me, but I would apparently sit up in bed, couldn't breathe, like and was pointing at something in the corner or like just speaking gibberish and just like mum said at first it was like super terrifying but then she just she couldn't help but like laugh sometimes. I completely (laughs) understand. They are the first time as a parent you see one I've witnessed them they are they're terrors not for the child they're terrors for the parent. You think your child is possessed. You think that they are psychotic. It's really scary. It's really really scary. They are genuinely a terror for parents. Yeah. Once. And then once you see them again and again, it's you like, know. I shouldn't say they're funny, but they are <laughs> bizarre. Yeah. They're really strange. So they, what are night terrors? They occur commonly between six months and six years. Not usually longer than that, not before that. They are very poorly understood. Mm. We don't know why they happen. We have no idea the mechanism behind them. And the treatment is also, it works, but we don't know why. Mm. So they typically occur in the first third of the night. They don't happen again and again through the night. It's usually within a couple of hours of going to sleep. And what parents will often describe, what I've seen as well, is the child who, you know, parents are often woken or, or brought, it's brought to their attention by a scream. And the child is often sitting up in bed screaming like they are being terrorized. Mm. And they are completely non-communicative. They won't look at you. They won't interact with you. 
Sometimes they can be physically violent, but it's not directed at you. It's just thrashing around. They can sometimes walk. They can, you know, have full conversations in God knows what language Mm -hmm. and just be completely inconsolable. And eventually they calm. You can't do anything about it. It just, they just calm themselves, go back to sleep and have no recollection of it in the morning (laughs) at all. None at all. You know, we laugh about it, but when you see it, it's really, it's scary. It's scary. And you feel awful because they look like they're really suffering. I've had people describe it as, you know, they thought their child was possessed. Mm. It's demonic. It's really, really intense. And the only thing you can do is make sure they're safe. You know, make sure that they're not going to throw their head back and hit a headboard or yeah. fall downstairs or something. You know, you, you lay pillows around the side of the bed because if they move and roll out of bed, you don't want them to hurt themselves. Mm. Remove bedside tables because they don't have control. Do not try and hug them. Do not try and hold them. Do not try and talk to them. Do not try and wake them up. Mm. Even though their eyes are open and they're talking, they are not awake. Mm. So don't try and wake them. You won't snap them out of it. And it passes. And it is quite hereditary. Mm, Okay. Now, when they... Yeah, (laughs) get ready. Strap in. (laughs) (laughs) But when they do happen, they tend to happen in clusters. Okay. So it'll be a few nights in a row. And when you recognize what it is, or if it happens again and again for a few years, the way that we treat it is by aborting them. And we abort them by waking the child 20 minutes, 15 minutes before they typically happen. Now, most parents whose kids experience night terrors will tell you, you could set your clock to it. So interesting. Well, I mean, 10, as long 15, as there's someone who goes to bed at the same, yeah. around the same time. 10, 15, wow. it happens. Literally like clockwork. Now, if that is the case, you go to that child at 10 o'clock before it happens and you wake them and you, you, you know, they need to be awake enough to be able to stand. So I always advise, take them to the toilet. Mm. They have to walk to the toilet, not be carried, walk back and put back to sleep. And it's like magic. Mm. They just turn off. So for three nights in a row, I recommend 15 or 20 minutes before it happens, you wake them, actually get them to walk, get them back to sleep and it tends to stop them. Mm. And then if another cluster happens in a couple of months or years, you do the same thing and they typically turn off again. Yeah. And then the same because Amy sounds like only 14 months old is the best thing just to, as you kind of said, make sure that the environment's safe and just kind of watch on and hopefully it passes? It does. Okay. Yeah. They all grow out of it. Like I said, it doesn't usually continue throughout childhood. And as long as they're safe, you can trust that it's not doing any harm. It's not epilepsy. Mm -hmm. It's not anything wrong. It's a completely normal part of childhood development. happens to some kids, doesn't happen to others. And it's really common that a grandparent will say, yeah. I know. You used oh, to have them. And, oh they, no. and they, they have stories, you know, and okay. it's quite amazing. And <laughs> if you didn't know that you had night terrors, it can be quite confronting. Okay. But I did, so. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for everything that you shared. I feel like I've learned so much and I know the listeners would have too, but I it's just made me even more keen to get into your new toddler toolkit. So if anyone else is interested in checking out any of Dr. Golly's programs, you can head to drgolly.com. We will pop a link in our show notes as well. And oh my gosh, we've just been told we have got a code, which is amazing. So if you use the code KICK20, you get $20 off the Dr. Golly Sleep Programs and Toddler Toolkit, and that will expire at the end of this year. So if you would like to try them, there you go. Thank you so much. That's so sweet. <laughs> my I'm going to use it. <laughs>
Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening, guys. As we said at the start of the podcast, this is the last kick bump podcast of the year. But don't worry, if you would like to hear from Laura or myself over the break, we are releasing some bonus apps. So keep an eye and ear out for those. Now, if you would like to join our kick bump Facebook community, it's basically a virtual mother's group there to support you through your pregnancy or prenatal or just motherhood journey. You can find that kick bump private Facebook community on Facebook, of course. And if you would like to hear more about Kick, you can head to our website, keepitcleaner.com. You can download the app from the Google Play Store or the Apple App Store and enjoy a seven-day free trial. And I will catch you guys soon. Bye. Bye.